Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. Go to butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and podcasts. A lot of times we feel like we don't belong in spaces as trans people. So, you know, a lot of times when I'm when I'm taking a summit or um, or finding, you know, just like my spot in the tent or my spot in the mess hall or my spot, yeah. you know, like in the co- in, at coffee and people are laughing and, and joking, like some of those those just being part of the team again, um, to me is a huge is our huge victories and you know, flashing that banner loud and proud when I get to the top of the hill. That feels good, too. (laughs) Fuck yeah. Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every other week, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss the games that have made them and changed them, and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronoun she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. Let's kick things off as we always do with our Patreon shoutouts. This is our special thank you to everyone who subscribed at our Patreon name in the credits tier for the month of January. So big, big thank you to Val, Genevieve, Lindsay, Grace, Jackie, Ben, Cortland, and Pim Hatai. We're so grateful to all of you for all of your support. Thank the you, thank fam. you, thank you the fam remember if you lovely listener want to get your name in the credits you can hop on over to patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod where you can subscribe for as little as two dollars a month and get access to a monthly bonus episode of the show that's just spencer and i chatting it up for your listening pleasure and if you're a fan of what we do here on pixel therapy please consider sharing us with your friends and family rating and reviewing us on apple podcasts or you can even write into the show by emailing us at pixel therapy pod at gmail.com because hey we would love to hear from you. Just script us. Just just uh, send us a script. A script of what? Of our next episode. Just okay. just tell us what to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or I didn't know that you were going to solicit scripts today. Um, but yeah, what, what happens? <laughs> sure, sure. Go ahead. Um, send us send us a script. You know, see if you can. Uh, you know, we want to keep the characters. Uh, that we portray on the show here in alignment uh, mm-hmm. with who we've been before. So please keep that in mind uh, with your script submissions. Absolutely. That got weird. All right. It's time to get cozy. Pull up an armchair. Feel free to lie down on the couch and let's talk about our feelings. Spencer, how are you? I'm good, Jamie. <laughs> Great. Um, Next. I- <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's a wrap. Um, see, this is why we need your scripts, people. Um, Actually, I want to, in front of the eyes of God and Jamie and all of the ears of my listeners, I want yeah, to chat yeah. about this picture I found the other day okay. of me and Jamie. Um, oh, God. <laughs> it was like one of those situations where my phone was like, good morning. Here's a picture from eight years ago. What do you think? Um, <laughs> it was um, <laughs> Jamie and I in an apple orchard. Um a long, long time ago, and one so of the many things years ago. that stood out to me is that I feel like Jamie. Like, first of all, you haven't aged like at all. Oh like, no, bullshit! <laughs> I call bullshit. Okay, okay. I call bullshit. Here's- I didn't even recognize the absolute fucking child looking back <laughs> out of me, the, out of that picture, the youthful energy in the eyes. <laughs> yeah, your eyes were maybe a bit more doe-like. Your your cheeks a bit. 
more apple and and rose, rosy. <laughs> like, I felt like Jamie looked more or less the same, like pretty much same haircut, same general vibe. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm standing there with like a Karen pixie cut, highlights, <laughs> makeup, and I'm carrying a fucking Louis Vuitton handbag. <laughs> Apple orchard. What was I thinking, first of all? <laughs> Second of all, I just am like, so much of what this person is wearing, I just can't even relate to in any way anymore. Like, I think I was, I think I ha- I may have been using they, them pronouns like eight years ago, but I, if, if so, it, I would have just started doing that. And mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It was kind of wild. I'm like, who is she? Like this person, nail <laughs> um, polish, like mm-hmm. skinny jeans, like wearing a long kind of sweater, um, and this fucking purse. Like I'm just like, I don't even know any purses since my life today. Like, <laughs> so it was. I don't know. I think some days I'm like, I look in the mirror and I'm like. I'm just an ugly woman and uh, nothing has changed and I am a freak. Like, just like everyone tells me, no one tells, well, just my mom and society, I guess, (laughs) but no one is like telling me that actively. But um, then I saw that picture and I was just like, you know, I have changed and grown and Mm -hmm. I have figure it out some stuff and like the fact that i that it is so viscerally shocking to see this picture of myself and that i have this immediate like uh resistance to it i think Mm. speaks to how much more i know myself now um and you played a big role in that my friend thanks for sticking by me through all of the permutations (laughs) me sticking by you unchanged in my graphic tee (laughs) with a thermal underneath she's my rock people literally (laughs) yeah Uh, so same haircut i have had the same you know the the biggest the most dramatic thing that's happened to my hair in my entire (laughs) life is that uh in like seventh or eighth grade, I made the decision to start parting down the middle instead mm. of slightly off to the side. I was going to say, your part is up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now, you know, I've been, we've been parting down the middle since, you know, like 20, 2008 Yeah, listen, Gen Z, <laughs> Jamie was doing the middle part before y'all even knew what a hairstyle uh, was. <laughs> yeah, but let me take you back to those eighth grade class photos when that part was still slightly to the left. Ooh. <laughs> Uh, it's like tree rings. <laughs> the more it moves, the more knowledge you've gained. <laughs> Does that mean it's going to like slowly progress to the right? Oh God, it's going to be like Pete Wentz, uh, okay. like scene. Going to bring the scene no, scene no. back. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> no, I think this is how my hair will look uh, until I die, or until like one day I just shave my head. But whoa. <clears throat> That would be pretty hot, happen. honestly. I'm and now I probably got a weird head. <laughs> well, speaking of snapshots of our lives, Jamie. Uh huh. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. How was I supposed to respond I to that? You were going to get that I was. Okay. okay. <laughs> you thought I was going to get. No, please talk me through this. Uh, <laughs> snapshots of our lives, Jamie. Like, because you. Because. A snapshot is taken in the blink of a camera's eye. And then just like the blink of a camera's eye, our eyes blink. 
and then and then we bring it all together bye so i can't tell if this is a terrible segue or if i'm a terrible podcaster for not catching this absolute softball that you lost to me <laughs> certainly one of those things is true uh, so I'm going to go ahead and pick this up. <laughs> Memories. Pick, Memories. pick this Jamie. softball up out of the dust. <laughs> there it landed at my feet with a resounding thud. <laughs> and uh, we're going to keep the podcast rolling uh, by talking about some video games. <laughs> talking about some video games. Um, yeah. So as everyone is uh, probably aware, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. No. Horizon Forbidden West came out on Friday, which is a game that Spencer and I have been eagerly looking forward to playing. And uh, we are we are playing it. Uh, Spencer is close to playing it. I am playing it. Yes, I'm close. I downloaded it, but out of respect, what I thought was respect for the craft, I was holding off on playing it until uh, until we talk about today's yeah, game. But well, I'll my disrespectful ass went ahead and started playing Horizon. But anyway, the, long story short, that's that's like a 70-hour game. Yeah. Or more. Probably more in our cases, because I think we both like to explore every nook and cranny. Mm-hmm. And it's a big fucking game. It's going to take us a while to get into it and have anything uh, real to say about it. So yeah. we're putting that conversation on hold. This is just to say that we shall certainly be talking about Horizon mm-hmm. Forbidden West in the near future. It's a game we've both been really champing at the bit mm. to play. She um, is downloaded. She is ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, but just not today. Today, uh, today, we're going to talk about a game that Spencer was attempting to segue us to called Before Your Eyes. Mm. And Before Your Eyes, uh, if you're not familiar, is a narrative adventure game. Came out in April of last year on PC. That's developed by uh, an indie collective based in Los Angeles called Goodbye World Games. Uh, great, great dev name. <laughs> yeah. um, and the the game itself actually originated as a Keystone project by the studio director and founder Will Hellwert, uh, and was originally titled Close Your, and received a bunch of game awards before it was even a full fledged game. So it got a couple different recognitions while he was still a student, and then uh, he graduated. Uh, founded the Goodbye World Games team, and they actually completed the game. So it's very long mm. in development, um, but the mechanic that Spencer was alluding to, the the real hook for this game is that as a narrative uh, adventure game in which you control the game by blinking your eyes. Mm-hmm. So specifically, um, there's both moment, the game is in first person perspective and you experience the game through the eyes of the main character who is a spirit that has recently passed away and is picked up by a ferryman character who's going to ferry the spirit to the land of the dead and as part of that process the spirit wants to hear the story of your life um to basically judge judge you you know kind of weigh your life on the scales of time and and determine what you're worthy of in the afterlife right and so as you interact with the game you do so with just your mouse and you have your webcam turned on and there will be points in the game where the game might encourage you to hover your mouse over a specific item on the screen and blink, and that will unlock additional memory. It might mm-hmm. allow you to make a choice. It might open up uh, a whole other piece of the memory that wasn't there before or an object that wasn't originally in the memory. Um, but kind of the more impactful way that the blinking is is uh, entered into the game and used in the game is that 
a scene will kind of play out before you. And as the scene comes to an end, a little metronome will appear at the bottom of the screen and it will start ticking back and forth. And what the metronome icon denotes is that the next time you blink, time is going to advance. And you never know if time is going to leap far Mm. ahead or if it's just going to jump ahead by a few minutes or what's going to happen when you blink. And so the game kind of creates this tension between wanting to stay in a particular moment and continue Mm. to hear a conversation, to just spend time with an additional character, to continue an activity that you're doing um, versus the actual real physical need to blink your eyes and move forward. Mm -hmm. So with all of that set up, you can all now see that Spencer's segue was, in fact, fantastic. Do you want to share it? Do you want to share it with us again, Spencer? <laughs> Just so everyone can get the full effect now. <laughs> As I said, speaking of snapshots, and okay, I admit that I was, I think I, in my head, I think of, or sometimes when I'm looking around, I'll say to myself, like, oh, I'm going to take a mind picture and I'll like, blink my eyes and be like I've taken my mind picture and I've I'm in this moment and it's stored in my brain and it'll be there forever it rarely is but I want I try to hold on I I don't know like everyone like you want to hold on to moments but you never know what's going to stay what's going to go and so I I I see now how I taking my literal of (laughs) a camera is an eye that blinks and we have (laughs) eyes and snapshots are pictures that are that our mind can take that you didn't immediately jump to before your eyes. Like, I suppose I can acquiesce that it wasn't flawless, but <laughs> no, no, it was, it was genius. It was genius. Uh, don't, don't, don't bring any false modesty in here. Uh, but Spencer, uh, we, mm. so we both played before your eyes. Uh, I suggested that I was going to play it. And then you in, in traditional fashion, were like, let me get in on that too, which yeah. I love. <laughs> I just make the decision of what I naturally want to play and you follow along. That's, that's pretty much how it goes, people. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. Because like professionally, I feel like I try to ride your coattails and in gaming, you can just ride mine. And it turns out you define my taste. So it's just like cyclical. We're giving yeah, back Ouroboros. to each other. Yeah. <laughs> the Ouroboros that is our friendship. Yeah. How, are you, how are you liking Before Your Eyes? Or how did you like it? Because we both finished the game. It's a relatively short game. Yeah, so that's one of the things I loved about it was that um, I think, uh, so first of all, just rewinding a little bit, folks may remember that this is a game, I think we've ta- we've we talked about it when it came out, like wanting to play it. And one of the challenges I had was this was a time before I had my own um, gaming computer and it was only available on PC. It's now available on Mac, which I find very exciting. Um, it's just like, I want more people to play it. But um, I think I when Jamie mentioned that she was playing it, I had this moment where I was like, oh, a game driven by blinking. Um, I could imagine that doing something for so long, where you're, especially where you're trying to keep your eyes open, <laughs> that that could um, get tiring or uh, strain on your eyes. And so I thought, mm, maybe this game won't be too long. Maybe I can kind of crank it out in a couple hours. And um, I think I'm typically someone who plays slowly but I uh, I managed to get through this game in maybe 90 minutes. Um, so I just, you know, if if you're even idly interested in it after this conversation, I highly recommend checking it out because it it really is such a contained, um, short and sweet experience. But um, I mean, I was reduced to a sobbing mess within those 90 minutes. So like it really, it gave me so much um, mechanically, narrative wise, and just thematically and, and just an absolutely 
incredible score. Um, I believe the composer's name is Oliver Lewin Dylan Terry. And um, the music just really accentuated every every moment that I was experiencing. I definitely recommend that this is a game you play with headphones just for the full immersion. Um, and mm-hmm. I think some of the things that they do with sound, which we'll get into, I think, in a bit, talking about some of the, the ways the mechanics change over the course of the game. Um, I just really felt that it was drawing on sensory aspects that we don't normally expect from a video game and just really elevated the whole experience. Um, what did you think? What were your initial impressions? <laughs> yeah, I agree with a lot of what you just said. I think it took me a little bit closer to two hours, okay. but maybe I just like miscounted that, but I do think it was closer to two hours. I was really invested um, pretty much from the beginning, and I, I love that. I love the mechanic. I very quickly started to feel that tension that it creates mm. between like wanting to stay in a moment and needing to to blink yeah there were also moments that i like accidentally blinked Mm. or uh i was getting emotional and i would start to tear up a little bit and i would kind of involuntarily blink and it would move time forward and every time well not every time but most times that was really heart-wrenching i felt like i was missing something um Mm. these were so many of the moments are small Mm. quote-unquote normal like quiet um personal they it really has a strong effect of feeling like you're inside of somebody's head experiencing these moments the main character is also uh, a silent protagonist Hmm. which doesn't typically work for me in games but i think it worked really well in this game in terms of the overall immersion and putting myself in the character's shoes especially because you spend a decent amount of the game at the beginning with him as a child as he grows up um, I say he because they, they do eventually like tell you the the character's name and um, his name's Benny and mm-hmm. he's uh, you're experiencing his life with his parents growing up and um, the narrative of the I think we should talk about his mom a little bit mm-hmm. because I think she's both the parents are very well um, realized yeah. like the the characters in the game feel superhuman. Not superhuman, like superheroes, but they feel very human. Very human, yeah. yeah. (laughs) They feel very human. And beautiful voice acting, by the way. Yes, fantastic voice acting. The dialogue just feels so natural and Mm -hmm. real. Um, And the relationship between uh, Benny, our silent protagonist, and his mother is is definitely a like key uh, dynamic in the story. The mother has a bit of baggage that I think they play out in a really interesting way. Her uh, you learn fairly early in the game that her father was a very well-skilled pianist and composer and that he had wanted the same for her. And so she had spent a lot of her childhood training and she's a very gifted pianist. Like you, you witness her playing piano a lot through your childhood as you're kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, sitting there drawing with crayons and stuff. She's mm-hmm. at the piano playing and it's intimated that she's a composer as well, that she's written some of her own pieces, but you kind of watch early in the game as um, she kind of has to make the decision to take a quote unquote normal job Mm -hmm. as an accountant to help the family make ends meet um, and to help support Benny as he grows. And this, uh, the dynamic that that creates between them as Benny starts to take an interest in playing piano, I thought was really powerful and, and definitely like 
underlies the entire narrative, this question of like, what does it mean to achieve your dreams? What does it mean to let your dreams go? Mm. How do expectations play into the people that we become, both Mm. the expectations that we set for ourselves and the ones that our parents set for us? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, her love of piano was clearly so precedented on what her father had instilled in her. Um, Was she pursuing piano because she had a genuine passion for it? Or was that her feeling like she had to meet her father's expectations. And then similarly watching her kind of play some of that out with Benny and Mm -hmm. and putting pressure on him to become uh, a pianist. All of that was, was really powerful. And I think uh, as someone who put a lot of pressure on myself to be a certain type of person, I don't know. It made, I, I found it really impactful to see how they set up the small moments between the mom and the son and how in the smallest things that she says and does, he still intimates the expectations that she has for him, hmm. right? They're, especially early on in the game, she's not doing a lot of saying, like, I want you to become a pianist. Like, that's not a sentence that ever, like, leaves her mouth. Mm-hmm. But there's so many things in the way she, like, celebrates, specifically the times he engages with music, the things that she says about him to his dad that he overhears, yes. that, that suggests to him the path that she wants him to be on, even if she's not overtly pressuring him. And I think... All of that feels very real and reminiscent of things I myself have experienced. And then and then the way we internalize that, like the way Benny internalizes that and makes the decisions that he makes, mm-hmm. uh, the way I can remember doing that as a child. Um, yeah, you spend quite a bit of time with Benny as a child in the in this game. And, and I think they really kind of nailed that dynamic because at no point would I say, you know, this person wasn't a bad parent, neither the parent, the parents are both very kind and supportive of of Benny and yet there's still still the ways that we can kind of create these just yeah kind of toxic expectations for our kids or, or like not even toxic but just like you can't as a human you like subtly imply to people what you want them to be and mm. how that can be received as a child I thought yeah. that was all really powerful yeah like children are more perceptive than we give them credit for and I think that this game does an excellent job of of showing that like the many conversations our parents have thinking that we can't hear or that they that we don't know what they are what they're thinking and feeling and Mm -hmm. um i felt like this game really subtly like shows you how untrue that that can be um as you were talking i remembered i had written down uh, a line in the game where um I i believe your mother is talking to you about her father um and something that he once said to her which is the only way to beat time is to create a work of genius is to mm. create some to like she, throughout the game. She, I, I feel like she constantly is impressing upon the young Benny that the world is unkind to people who aren't really good at one thing. And she really hopes that music will be the one thing that he's good at. Um, and just, I think that ties into a lot of what you brought up as, as well as just like what it means to create a legacy like what it means to um, like how the hopes we can pin on children when we feel like our own lives didn't pan out the way we wanted to. And, um, you know, how we can continue persisting even once our physical forms are gone with the things that we create. Um, And also like how arbitrary it can be defining what is great and what just fizzles out into obscurity. Like how it doesn't even have to come down to skill, but just who is gatekeeping what 
what becomes great or what is considered like universally acclaimed. Um, like it's, it all comes down to luck in a lot of ways. Like you can be really talented. You could just be undiscovered and it doesn't mean that you, what you've done has no value. Um, I think it, it dives into a bit of that as well. Yeah. You were also speaking about his parents, um, just how generally how well realized they were. And mm-hmm. there was one scene in particular that's, that's, um, coming up for me and it's where um like Benny comes home with a math test and he's completely failed the math test because the test said find the zero in this equation and mm-hmm. you as the main character had literally drew an arrow to the zero and drew a circle <laughs> around it and the teacher was like no and your mom you can hear your parents arguing downstairs and your mom is like I can't believe this like how could this is terrible in every way imaginable like what is what is our son doing and your father's laughing like well he's not wrong. Like he's like, isn't this creative? Like, isn't this, isn't this amazing? And, um, uh, just the tension of like, you know, I th- your mother wants nothing but the world for you. And she feels probably through experience with her own father, that the way to become a true artist is through discipline and mm-hmm. practice and repetition. And the fact that there, there does seem to be latent creativity within Benny and this, this very artistic approach to problem solving and thinking about the world. It's like, she can't quite see the value in that too. And mm-hmm. it's seen as a, as a reason to, you know, punish you or whatever. Um, I just thought that was fascinating. Like all of the dynamics that the game was able to capture again, just through the blinking through these memories. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, well, and I think she's, much more uh she tends to speak and think about benny and and what he's how he's growing up in in regards to what will be his impact on the world and how will the world as a whole view him mm. whereas benny's father seems to see benny more for just see and accept benny more for who he is and and how he exists and not seem to be as hung up on what does that mean for who Benny will be mm. a decade from now, 20 years from now, how he's going to find success or not in this world. Um, I wonder how much of that ties into gender role stuff mm. too, and the way different parents might perceive what's of value mm-hmm. <laughs> to bring into the space. But that also feels core to kind of the central argument or not argument, but like the tension that the game is presenting or the, you know, thematically what it's chewing on here is this idea of, you know, what is, what is more important when we eventually pass on, like what's, what's the value of a life? Is it in being ourselves and being authentic and having the experiences that we had with the people that we had them with? Like, is that all it takes to have a quote unquote good or valuable mm. life? Or is it this question of how did you impact the world? What did you achieve? What was your your professional success? Mm-hmm. What did the world, what did so what did the masses think of you as opposed to how how were you perceived within your own uh, smaller orbit? Mm. Um, and which of these things are worth pursuing in a life? What actually means that you had a life worth living? Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, as we reference the the game does set up this narrative of, you know, you've already passed on. Mm-hmm. So you're experiencing Benny's life after he's already lived it. And you're preparing to go share this story with, with a afterworld spirit, God of judgment. That's going to decide <laughs> whether or not the value, you know, weight the value of your life. And not um, only that, but this fisherman 
literally lifted you from a sea of identical souls and Mm -hmm. lifted you up and said, you know, this is the one that's gonna make an impact. Like it. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. So the game's definitely like chewing on that. And, and I, I do think that it comes down on the side of the coin that like, I think at the end of the day, this is a game about the fact that legacy as we perceive it, these, uh, kind of how how you're remembered by society at large is perhaps less important and that there's just as much value in and just as much of a story worth telling. I think that's an important thing too, because Betty is telling this story to the ferryman mm-hmm. and the ferryman actually you, you check back in with him at various points and, and he is seeing it as a story. Like Benny's life is a story and he's assessing whether or not it's a good story, if it's a story mm-hmm. worth telling. And I think this game's, you know, if it's got a thesis point, it's that there are the stories worth telling are not just the ones about the people who, who make it mm-hmm. <laughs> professionally, who achieve incredible levels of success or who are considered geniuses in their time. Like there's a lot worth telling in a much smaller story about just a person who yeah. existed and who had an impact on a few people in their life. And I, for me, that was, that was a really powerful narrative. It was so part of what left me <laughs> sobbing at the end mm-hmm. of the game. Um, I, I, do you want to talk a bit more about the mechanics? Cause I think, you know, we said the blinking was so important and then I don't know if you want to circle back <laughs> that to we that. Got into the narrative. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, mean, I just want to, I thought that was a beautiful point you were just making. And I, I would just want to um, add on to that, that like, it's yeah like yes (laughs) and the fact that you were lifted from this sea of of all these other souls and um that this fisherman had no indication really until you start telling your story like what kind of story it's gonna be is like Mm -hmm. this fact that every person does have a have a story to tell maybe Mm -hmm. that's a little cheesy but it's like like you said um no one looks back on their life and is like well, maybe some people do, but maybe rich people do. But I like, <laughs> here's my list of achievements. I've lived a good life. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like at the end or at the end of the day, at the end of our life, when we're falling asleep at night, like we're not thinking about like, mm, I feel so happy surrounded by my trophies <laughs> and awards. It's always like, I don't know, you're thinking about the people who love you and 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 who you love and and your like life is defined by moments spent with others or in quiet moments in nature or doing something you love. Like no one's sitting and reminiscing about like what they did at work. Like, yeah, no. And, uh, it, you know, screw, screw the mechanics. We'll circle back to that. But what you're saying is just this, this thing that I, I really, you know, I, I finished the game and kind of just sat and thought for a little bit mm. after finishing it. One of the things that I, the game really made me think about was like, you know, what would what would my life look like, right? If someone were to because you are you're an observer of Benny's life and the way this game sets it up, and you're you're watching the moments that have stuck with him. Mm. And it just made me wonder like what what would that look like? What would the you know 90 minute, two hour version of my life look like if it were turned into vignettes? Like what would be those impactful moments? Would they be the ones that that I would put on a resume? <laughs> would mm. they be would it be the stuff that I think of or like would it even would the stuff that people resonate with be mm. the stuff that I resonate with personally? Like mm. as an outside observer, would you be trying to linger on some moment that maybe I hadn't I had even like taken for granted? Mm. Uh, because because we're getting that choice to to not blink and to stay in a moment, it feels like you have 
some agency to decide which moments really matter for Benny. I mean, the game is obviously Ooh. putting the list of moments together. Yeah, yeah. But the the times that I was like, don't blink, don't fucking blink. This is such a beautiful moment. You need to stay here. I guess I just wonder, like, yeah, I, oh, what what would my <laughs> what would my series of moments look like and would they would they really be and, and where would i be like trying to embellish where would i be right. where would i want to obfuscate what had actually happened or where am i i think the game is also asking this question of how we write our own narratives about our lives like we have our own internal monologue and our own internal mm. narrative of what our life means to us and where are we writing that narrative in a way that tries to avoid ugly truths avoid mm-hmm. pain or try to keep us safe like where are we telling ourselves lies and so if someone were to watch that back would they be able to pick out those lies right. like would they be able to see through what we're telling ourselves to get through a thing and the game is also saying like but when you strip that away and you just look at the truth the truth is really beautiful too even if it's painful mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> yeah i mean talking about those mechanics um (laughs) like what you said about um just wanting to stay in a moment and keep your eyes open like that like i really felt um like like yeah just so i i mean i hope i'm not repeating myself but it's like um (laughs) the way in which you know so it's uh, if that if it wasn't clear it's like literally the game once once you're starting to tell the ferryman your story it's literally like, okay, first memory, I'm a baby on a blanket and my mom is there and the sun is shining and that's happening. And then it's slowly progressing through toddlerhood into early childhood and um, and so on. And so um, the moments where, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd start to feel my eyes burning, I'd feel the tears start to prick, I'd feel the fighting, fighting the urge to let my eyes close just to hear a little bit longer the story that my mom was telling me or a friend confiding in me or just like a moment um, with my father or or looking at a a beautiful landscape that I'm sharing with someone and just feeling that like, just like time, you can't, you can't stop it from moving forward. You can't, Mm -hmm. you can fight it. You can cry. You can tear at your chest you can rage and no matter what it's gonna keep marching on and i feel like that's something we all know to be true but the to feel it slipping through your fingers and that visceral need to like not let go but knowing that you can't there's gonna be a point where you can't help it you're gonna blink i just have never felt such a uh, such a powerful way of encapsulating that thing that we all live through but at a very slow pace Mm -hmm. it's not until you're looking back at pictures from eight years ago that you're like oh my god so much time has passed since then it feels like the blink of an eye but it wasn't it was eight years ago that we were there together on that day and Mm -hmm. it's like that impact isn't felt until now when i'm when i'm looking at that and it feels like nothing to me but it's also a a huge stretch and that that blinking mechanic in this game breathtaking how they Uh, applied that absolutely and i believe that there's a setting where you can turn that off and just control it with your mouse if you Mm. wanted to but i just think that i think the game would still have a powerful story even without that the themes would still resonate but i do think this is a game that is just elevated immensely 
by that really ingenious choice to use the blink because yeah, I think I think he hit the nail on the head. We can't in real life we can't make these moments last forever. You can't just stay indefinitely in in a moment. And so by physically making you feel that tension and knowing that you need to move forward even though you don't want to, I think it's powerful because if I could have just sat comfortably in these mm-hmm. memories for as long as I wanted, it wouldn't have had the same the same impact. Yeah. Um and I think this is one of, you know, we, we talk about a lot of video games on this podcast that have narratives and themes that resonate with us and that give us emotions that make us cry, make us think about life in new ways. But I do think it's much rarer that it's that a video game mechanic is as responsible for the emotional impact mm-hmm. as the actual like narrative storytelling like this. This story could could certainly have been told in a different medium, but it is elevated a hundred times over by the fact that they chose to have it be a game, to be interactive, and to have you interact with it in that way through the blinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put it kind of on the... It reminded me kind of how I felt about Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, mm-hmm. which is another game that has you control the two main characters in a very interesting way. And they, you know, you're controlling both characters with separate sides of the controller. And at a certain point in the story, it it uses that knowledge of the mechanics to really hammer home a very emotional moment. Mm -hmm. And I remember just being absolutely floored when that happened in brothers. And I think, I don't think I've had an experience quite like that since I played this game where I was just as moved by the mechanical decisions that the game was making and the way it was asking me to interact with it as I was the the narrative itself. Mm-hmm. There's one other way that the mechanic uh, of the blinking manifest that I found really powerful, which is that there are moments in the game where you are struggling to fully remember a particular thing. So you're in a moment where there might be a conversation happening that you can't quite hear, or maybe it's a difficult memory that you tried to kind of block out. And the game will tell you if you want to fully remember this thing, you need to close your eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you do that, when you close your eyes, the audio will become louder and more in focus and less muffled. And you'll be able to hear the memory play out but if you open your eyes it will stop and the game will proceed and i found those moments really really meaningful just the uh, closing your eyes and hearing those conversations play out again i think you know i i didn't play the game with headphones on but you saying that it should be played with headphones on i think you're absolutely right um because it's just so immersive to close your eyes and have the audio wash over you and hear those mm. hear those moments play out and uh, yeah i don't know what did you think of that stuff yeah it it made me feel like i was there um mm. like at least mm-hmm. in the way i think and i think it was actually like surround sound so mm. it mm-hmm. felt like while my eyes were closed that i was actually oriented in the space and i was in it in the scene and if I open my eyes, I half expected to be in the game and not see my office around me. Like it yeah. was, it was that powerful. I think they did a beautiful job with um, the audio quality. Was just like amazing. Um, and like you said, like it, it really narrowed the focus to this moment and put you directly inside of it. Um, and I think too, just the fact that we expect video games, like by nature, to be 
you know, tethering us to a screen. And that's how we engage with it. It's this world separate from us through this barrier of the screen. And to have that completely go away, like my eyes are closed and I'm still playing a video game. And that not only that, but it's, it's wanting me to, it's asking me to in order to experience it fully. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. I, I just, I loved this game so much. It immediately, you know, I haven't played that many games this year, but it immediately jumped to the top of my list. Um, I feel like if I had played this game last year, it, it might have given Inscription a run for its money yeah. for my favorite game of the year. Uh, and I just <clears> think that is that's wild because this game is, yeah, 90 minutes, two hours tops. <clears> but I played this the other morning and I was just thinking about it the rest of the day that like this. This is a game that sticks with you for sure. And I still. I really I really, really resonate with that that message that like the overall thematic message of the game, this idea that uh, the value of a life like can't or shouldn't be measured by professional success or acclaim or legacy. And just like, maybe it's enough to, to just have existed to have loved people and have them love you. Um, and that all of the, the joy and the pain and all of it is just, it's part of it. And, and that's what makes it a, a story worth remembering or a story worth telling Mm. I think is it's a good thing to be reminded of. Mm. I think we can get really caught up in the the rat race Mm -hmm. or, or feeling like what we, you know, in some, in some ways we keep having the same conversation on this podcast, right? Because, you know, we talked with Dr. Devin Price about productivity. We've talked with several guests about how this insatiable need to, to be productive, to Mm -hmm. accomplish something it all kind of ties back to the same thing, which is that we're conditioned to derive value from what we put out. Yes. And that's really harmful mm-hmm. <laughs> to us. And you can have a really valuable life even without that, just by being a decent person. Yeah. And that there's so much growth and healing and stillness. Mm-hmm. Do you have any final thoughts on Before Your Eyes? I mean, I just played this morning. I feel like Jamie and I have been on the verge of tears throughout this entire conversation. I'm just <laughs> we're on Zoom and I feel like I'm seeing shining in your eyes. And I don't know, I'm definitely, I'm like flushing and I <laughs> keep almost crying. So like, this was a gift. So I just, it's 10, it's 9.99 people. Yeah. This is an experience that for nine, this is the best $10 you can spend. <laughs> In yeah. my opinion. Yeah, you should definitely go play this game. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. All right, let's go ahead and transition over to our interview. So excited about today's interview. Yes, it's a good one. Uh, our guest for you today is Aaron Parisi, who's a mountaineer and adventure sports enthusiast currently working on becoming the first trans athlete to complete the Seven Summits Challenge, uh, which is when folks climb the tallest mountain on each of the seven continents. Just like, it's wild. fine. Just, <laughs> yeah, just okay. chill. Just chill. Uh, and so Erin has five of them down already, and she's got two to go at the time that we did the interview with her. Um, and she's she's just become an absolutely inspirational icon in the trans community and beyond. Uh, and for gamers, uh, she's a real life version of the strawberry loving heroine Madeline from Celeste <laughs> for anyone who's played Celeste. Uh, and she shares some several uncanny similarities with mm-hmm. with Madeline, which we discuss with her. 
Um, while Erin considers herself more of an athlete than a gamer, uh, we did find in our conversation with her that there was a lot of connective tissue between the way she approaches her climbs and the way Spencer and I approach and connect with video games here on Pixel Therapy. Uh, her views on the life skills that can be learned from sports and the way she views her climbs as a way to connect with others as much as a way to connect with herself and process her own experiences all felt super relatable. And we really appreciated her openness to having a dialogue with us <laughs> as like a video game podcast reaching out to her. Uh, we definitely got a lot out of it, and I'm sure you all will too. So without further ado, here's our interview with Erin Parisi. <laughs> Hello to our wonderful guests, and thank you so much for joining us in the virtual Pixel Therapy Studio. To start, could you share your name and your pronouns? Yeah, for sure. My name is Erin Parisi, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And Erin, how do you spend your time? Um, I, I, I have a lot of things I'm into. I've got, <laughs> um, I've got a nine-year-old, so that takes up a lot of time. I'm, mm. I spend a lot of time in, in hockey and uh, gymnastics, so she's... Nice. She takes a lot of my time and uh, I'm an outdoor athlete. So I spend a lot of time in like the climbing gym and um, kind of outside on the trails and the mountains where I live, um, just kind of exploring the outdoors. Beautiful. And Erin answered that in a very low key way, but you are a mountaineer with over 25 years of experience, backpacking, skiing, climbing, Pretty much if it's outside, Aaron's probably done it. Um, can you tell us a bit more about your journey into adventure sports? Uh, like, where does your passion come from for the outdoors? Sure. I, I, I don't honestly know or have a, a clean answer for that. I've always been um, kind of an outdoor kid. Um, you know, growing up, I had four brothers, uh, two older and two younger. So I think when, you know, times were, were tough where my parents just kind of got sick of dealing with, um, you know, five kids, they just dress us up in our sweatsuits up in, um, you know, northern or western New York and send us out to play in the snow. So I think it all started there, but it, it became space where I learned to kind of explore who I am and, um, and develop friendships or develop relationship with myself. And I guess as, as time went on, I just kind of expanded it um, from kind of, you know, a kid with big wide open eyes for the outdoors to um, a little, you know, more focus, like you said, um, kind of working on different ways to travel through the outdoors, um, skiing, snowboarding, mountain biking, mountain climbing, all of those types of things. Mm -hmm. And Erin, you're also someone who is an out and proud trans woman, um, someone who's using her platform to bring really amazing um, visibility to um, trans youth in sports and just sort of acceptance in general about uh, trans folks' rights to be in outdoor spaces. And I was wondering, how did your relationship to the outdoors evolve as you began to know yourself more deeply through your own transition? Yeah, that that was definitely several decades of um of development self development i suppose when i started with the outdoors um i was definitely struggling with my gender identity and i think i saw the outdoors originally as a way that i could kind of prove you know that myself kind of in a man man versus nature um way mm -hmm. so i took on a lot of these adventure sports thinking you know this is how this is how you do it. And this is how you prove yourself um, to the world mm. as, as a dude. Right. But um, 
you know, the, the more I, I aimed at that angle of my, my relationship with outdoor sports and my body, the, the more I realized that that was a pretty hollow way to approach the outdoors. Mm. Um, you know, as time went on, my relationship with the outdoors has changed. So it kind of started there. And when I started transition, I really realized because that was the relationship that I had developed, that this might be something I had to leave behind. Mm. Um, but there I was loving it for all the other reasons besides that one big elephant in the room. So when I looked at it as a way to find therapy, to find mm. um, self-improvement, to, a way to develop kind of my psyche, to, a way to get away from everything, including kind of the violence, I think, that we see maybe, you know, or the, the transphobia we, we, we see if we face people, you know, it was a way to get away. It was a way to just think things through where there was some clarity. So, um, you know, that became how I use the outdoors. And ultimately now, um, as I got stronger and, and found that space and kind of built out that space, the outdoors has become a way for me not to, not to only find peace, um, mm. and to prove myself not as a, as a man, but as a, as a human, mm. um, and, and kind of overcome those challenges. It's, it's also become a way for me to show that I'm proud. Um, it's become my canvas to kind of like, you know, just show the world, I'm happy in who I've become. So mm. that's, that's why I, I, you know, here I am on the seven, you know, doing the seven summits. So. NBD. <laughs> that's beautiful. And we'll get to that more in a minute. There's tons of questions there, but before we move on to that, we talked about the outdoors a bit. Um, this is a video game podcast. And so we're curious, do you have any sort of relationship with video games? What has, what role have they played in your life? If any? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, I, I grew up, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit older probably than your target audience, but oh. um, <laughs> I, I know that, you know, games are, they're, they're, they're for everyone. But mm-hmm. um, I started with kind of Atari, I think. I had nice. two older brothers and two younger brothers, and we had a Commodore 64 and an Atari. Nice. And um, I probably was on the leading edge of like you know, Sega Master System, kind of Nintendo, um, you know, the original one where you had to blow on the cartridge and push it down a hundred times. Um, mm. And that's really, I think, where I developed a lot of, of my gaming. Um, my younger brothers kept me in it a little bit longer than that. So, you know, we started doing the Genesis and the um, the PlayStation, you know, one, two, three, I think. Um, but my house kind of always had one, but with five people in the house, it was always so hard to play it. And yeah. wh- whoever yeah. was good got to play longer. <laughs> so... <laughs> it was kind of like my brothers would just be sitting there playing like you know whatever so and that you'd be like all right i'll come back in three or four hours you know so yeah yeah um, I, that's i think where you know i just couldn't keep up with how good they were my games lasted two minutes and they'd play for hours oh yeah absolutely <laughs> turns, you, yeah. you mentioned to us too that you particularly used to love uh samus from metroid can you tell us mm-hmm. more about that you know samus was one of those characters um and that I I never assigned a gender to Samus, but I always loved Samus, and for some reason I just never thought about you know what what who Samus was yeah. beneath that mask. And Samus was so badass, um, you know, going through all those worlds and just you know you could just exploring and everything was so like so alien and unique. Mm-hmm. And then at some point I wondered, you know, who is who is Samus? And it turned out that um, Samus Samus is. Is a badass check yeah. um, when you take the helmet off, and it, it's cool. I thought that that was a, a like. It, it, I think it challenged in a lot of ways, kind of um, 
a lot of gender expectations at, at the time, especially, you know, in the video game world. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, as soon as I found that out, I was like, oh my God, this is so incredible. And I just, I, you know, I was just one of those games I played and played and played. Absolutely. And not just that, but did you know that <laughs> Samus is actually a trans woman? I've heard <laughs> some story. I, I didn't know if, um, if they were non-binary or if she was, if she was trans, but I, I had heard that there was, there was something going on there. Yeah. Um, it was always, I, it's funny that when you were saying that I, I related a lot just cause growing up, um, I played some of the side scrolling Metroid and like, she was always in the suit. And so there was no, like you said, indication of what gender, but there was some part of me that always felt a kinship with her mm-hmm. And uh, as an adult, learning that um, in a lot of ways she was coded to be uh, a trans woman by the developers of the game, I don't know, it's just something just, it was like, of course she is. Like, of course that that kinship, it's like, we just, we see each other, even when we don't have the words (laughs) to articulate. Um, It's just, I just, I just find that trans community is one of the most incredible things that I've ever been able to experience in my life so it's so crazy that these characters can just transcend like yeah. just, just people and time and just just every just, you just feel it absolutely um you mentioned too that zelda was a big one for you legend of zelda um do you care to say any more about what that was like for you i when i had the time and that the um you know that my brothers weren't all bothering me and everything and i could i could find a way to kind of get into the game worlds. Mm. Um, you know, back when I was, when I, you know, in the early days of video games, I think we did a lot less with um, kind of, you know, these, these exploring worlds and we kind of, it was, it was pretty, pretty linear. I think you'd, you'd go through the levels and you'd mm. shoot the right thing and then you'd, you'd advance to the next level and ultimately you'd win. But when it became, Zelda really was a world that you got to explore and you got to mm. kind of find your way around. It was the first time I remember doing that, you know, dropping the bombs, opening the doors, finding a whole new world inside there. And um, Zelda was another character that to me, I think was really non-binary. Mm. And, um, you know, ultimately I think, you know, Zelda's character is, is written as a guy um, or not Zelda, but Link. Oh, Link. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Link is. And Zelda was in the versions I was playing. Zelda was just kind of like the, the girlfriend or something. But um, so I, I think that I was attracted to some degree again with maybe the muting of those big gender, um, Mm -hmm. I guess, stereotypes or like polarity that was built into a lot of games where you were, you had a a, a character. It just felt more relatable to me. Absolutely. Kind of exploring a world. Yeah, no, that, that resonates. I think with Zelda, I think the non-binary read still works because of her transformations into Sheik or she would take on, she would become, um, this sort of genderless um, spy uh, sort of in bandages and dark clothing that would visit and help you at different times. And um, like, I just remember as a young person, um, I'm identified as non-binary transmasculine. And as someone who um, was very like forced to be very highly feminized uh, and sexualized uh, when I was like, preteen into teenage years i felt like this this character of zelda who is a princess and has to look and act a certain way but in her own time she manages to escape that and be this badass like uh back flipping dagger throwing <laughs> like spy was just like really cool and also not knowing necess- like i felt like 
when she is chic, um, she's kind of like coded male. Um, or there's like this assumption that, uh, like, I, I think I, I just remember like talking to other kids and thinking that Sheik was like a guy and then discovering that it was Zelda and being like, whoa, like girls can do that. Like, I don't know that game, um, to what you said about really feeling like it's helping, like it's, it has worlds within worlds. Like it, it was the first game that really felt to me like playing Ocarina of Time, um, or Majora's Mask. Like it was the first time I felt like wow, there's mysteries locked in this game. Like, I don't know what I'm getting into fully. And and to a child, it's just like, what? Like, it feels like a whole new world is at your fingertips. Yeah, you know, I've, I know that they've done a lot with developing the characters too, since obviously, you know, my good old days. So it's it's fun to kind of check back in and see, you know, when these things pop yeah. up into pop culture kind of. And yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And how they change through time, some Things change, but some stay the same. And um, there's just like a through line. Uh, even if you're someone who's been gaming like 30, 40 years ago or someone gaming today, there's like things to connect upon with everyone who, who likes games. Like, it's pretty cool. So, Aaron, um, you have an organization, a nonprofit called Transcending, um, which is dedicated to the advancement of trans rights by promoting athletics as a platform of awareness and inclusion. Um, so getting back to, you know, some of the more outdoorsy stuff, can you tell us more about Transcending's mission to support trans kids in sports and why that's so important? Yeah. So really what I want to do and what 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 the Transcending Board is currently focused on is supporting the narratives that I think celebrate trans lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, right now there's, it's a particular focus on outdoor sports and outdoor spaces. I think there's a lot of potential to develop um, to overcome, I think some of the, the negatives of, of being trans or some of the societal things we face being trans by getting kids outside. And really, I think the best way that we can do that is to, retake the, um, the, the news cycle, if you will, and support positive narratives of trans lives. Because right now I think what happens is the media kind of runs with it and people that don't necessarily deserve attention get it because it's sensational and rather than celebrate positive narratives, we end up celebrating kind of the, the, the debate on our existence. And Mm. I want to move past that. I want to tell bigger stories of, of trans success, trans over, you know, overcoming trans victories. And, um, really I think, you know, transcending is kind of just a vehicle to connect the opportunities with people that might not have the ability to, um, to engage in those. My climbs are one example, but we're trying to also raise funds to send kids to summer camps, um, Mm -hmm. you know, for that are safe spaces, um, especially now with a lot of kids being barred from, from sports and in several States. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we're really trying to find ways to support the travel, to get them to safe places, to explore, you know, how they can be themselves and grow as people um, in their bodies um, kind of through their relationship with the outdoors. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I I love what you're saying about creating stories that aren't just about trans pain or trans suffering. Like I think for someone who doesn't have any trans people in their lives, if they're just reading the watching and reading the news and that's all that they, where they see trans people, it's just like paints this picture that um, any sort of relationship with a trans person is connected to some sort of like political agenda or that they, that, being trans means we're constantly tied up in 
uh, debates about our existence or like where where we where we are, where we shouldn't be, or what we should or should not be doing, and just reminding people that we are here. We're not just in the news and in debates and in courtrooms. We are living along and among alongside you and among you and we're actually pretty cool and hot and we have really interesting hobbies and like we are here um like i just think uh what you're doing is so important um well let, let's de- let's develop something on that because i think it's not just for us either so my story is f- it's definitely for me and this is about my self growth and me kind of coming to as i take on these mountains. But when I came out to my parents and parents might be getting better or all this media BS might be making it worse right now, that my mom was probably somebody who could have been supportive, but she had seen so many negative representations of trans people. She was just afraid of what I would face when I got into the world. So Mm. I think possible allies are turned away because they don't want to see us go through pain and suffering because they've been shown that the trans narrative is pain and suffering. Mm. We need to show our allies, and there are a lot of them, stories of trans joy just as much as we need to experience stories of trans joy. Absolutely. I completely agree. That's, um, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> I think to the, the sports angle, like um, just, just reflecting on my own history. Like um, I, I don't play a lot of, I don't do a ton of organized sports now. I was playing men's rugby for a minute, but I have found that um, uh, I need to train a bit more to really be on <laughs> par with the, with the athleticism of the men who I was playing with. Um, but uh, in high school, I was very into varsity sports. I played lacrosse. I played field hockey. Um, and on the field, um, like I always felt that there was something about me that wasn't quite like other girls. And it was something that was hard to articulate. But I just never felt comfortable in feminine spaces. And I, and I always felt that it was something wrong with me. Like, like I was weird. I was a freak. I was, I was bullied. And I felt like that's why. Because I'm just, I just don't fit in. Um, and I didn't fully relate to other girls, but I couldn't really, I didn't have the language to articulate why because I didn't see any other trans people around me. But on the field, um, being part of a team, I think all of that would kind of fade away. And it just became about how we were working together and our shared context of, of the game. Um, and so I just think when I think about your work, um, you know, normalizing and bringing positive visibility to trans kids in sports, um, I just hope that, I don't know, that it helps other kids just have a place where they feel like they belong. <laughs> well, what you just said is just it too, is that when you're playing varsity sports it, in your head and maybe in your parent and some, some of the parents heads, it's all about winning, but really mm. it's not really. It's all about learning to work together as a team and to figure out ways to overcome the challenges on the field and off in order to become a stronger human. Most people stop playing sports before varsity or maybe at the end of high school. A few percent go on to play NCAA sports and most end there and a couple people go on to play professional sports. Everyone along the way picks up critical life skills that make them successful in the workplace or in their personal relationships. And and that's what trans people, I think, like you said, you you might not identify with the gendering of the space, but mm. you can identify with the skills and, and benefit from the skills that you picked up along the way. And that's really what people need to realize that we're fighting for is 
the ability to engage in the learning opportunities provided by sports that benefit us for the rest of our lives. Yes. Um. Mm. Absolutely. <sighs> so, <laughs> Aaron, you mentioned the Seven Summits Challenge uh, and that you're a climber. Um, could you tell us more about what exactly is the Seven Summits Challenge? So the seven summits, what's what's known as the seven summits, is the goal of climbing to the highest peak on each of the seven continents. So seven peaks, seven seven continents, um, seven unique, I guess, um, you know, challenges. So you 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 got to get out there and um, and just find your way to the top of that mountain. Absolutely, and. No big deal, but you've conquered five of seven summits so far. <laughs> and uh, which two are left? I have Denali here in North America, mm-hmm. and I have um, Everest in uh, Asia, the world's and, highest uh, peak. Uh, yeah, world's highest peak. It's fine. <laughs> Not Everest. Heard of it? Um, <laughs> and something really awesome that you've been doing is at the top of each peak, you've been planting um, a trans flag. Um, or in the case of Russia, you've been making a T sign uh, with your fingers, just bring some trans representation right. in spaces where um, it could be very scary and dangerous to be uh, visibly trans. Um, what does it mean to you personally to stand on these summits as your true self and plant the trans flag on the world's highest peaks? Well, I want to first say that I don't, I, people I think took it a little, little literally and I don't literally plant the flag. <laughs> I, I, I do bring them home. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and usually they've, they've got a destination that um, they end up, you know, someplace. So she's environmentally um, friendly people. I am, not, I am not littering the landscapes of these places. You know, Everest doesn't need any more garbage. Um, not the trans flag is not garbage, but um, yeah. if, if anything belongs up there, it's a trans flag. But, Absolutely. Um, um, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's a law it, that is a multiple decade struggle for me to have accepted myself as trans and then have gone through the transformative process that I had to do and to have lost so much and to have questioned the fact that I might not retake that space again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as far as adventure, um, you know, adventure sports, um, adventure travel, um, expedition space. I mean, these are all places where gender seems to be to not just me, um, and not to me, I think as much as to the larger world, gender seems to be very important. Mm. And, um, when I get that flag out at the top of the peak, it kind of tells me like I've overcome all of that kind of, um, you know, gender dysphoria and kind Mm. of society's transphobia and my own internalized transphobia. And I'm at the point where I can go to the highest place that I can find and take that flag out and just like, just throw it out there um, where there are no shadows and just say Mm. like, I am me and I'm going to say it from the highest mountaintop and I'm not Mm. afraid to anymore. And and it's a far cry from, you know, I I didn't even want to admit in my own brain that I was trans for a a large mm-hmm. part of my life. So to go to the highest point and say, I'm proud and I'm going to show it to the world. Um, those summits, when you get up there, it's, it's not everything, but God, it's a lot. You know, you mentioned you just got Denali and Everest left. As you look at these, you know, two peaks, um, 
how are you feeling as the finish line is sort of coming into sight? You know, it's, it's a little, it's a little bit sad and I want, and that's mm. sad because I've, I've still got these peaks to go. So to me, it's very much like, um, it, it, whether I had one peak done or whether I have five peaks done, it feels kind of the same. I have more, more, mm. more climbing to do, um, and more training to do. Um, you know, I know that the peaks have gotten harder um, as time has gone on, but I've I've also transformed a lot. If you look back kind of through our social media, you'll see my transformation. Part of this was about showing my transformation as I came through the seven summits. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of satisfaction in the fact that, you know, I've grown so much through this journey and um, I've gotten so much stronger from that first trip down to Australia um, mm-hmm. to climb Mount Kosciuszko. Um, I, I mean, I feel like I was, I was just like baby trans back then. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> it's kind of beautiful how the, this, these climbs are intertwined with your own evolution and transformation. Like it, it feels as though, or almost like these mountains are, um, posts along the way or, or there with you. Like, I don't know, I, I don't know how you feel about it, but <laughs> it's just really poetic and, and really beautiful. I I didn't know how long, when I set out, I didn't know how long this would take me. And I felt like, you know, when, I think when you transition, when you start breaking the binary at all, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, small steps are, are huge, you know, those, so that I was like, all right, I'll do this in like a year. Nobody will see me come and go and, <laughs> and then I can just disappear. And instead I've had this amazing like four year journey now and COVID has, has extended it and fundraising mm-hmm. is tough. So that's extended it. Um, but I'm happy to be on this journey, like four years, five years, like this visibility is, it's become more comfortable. And, and I think that one of the biggest changes in this whole thing is that I've, you know, I've, I've become m- more comfortable being visible and I'm more comfortable, um, you know, climbing and, and finding my way in and out of these places. So it, it re- these, the, the, each of the peaks definitely does represent something different along this, str- you know, this, this, this struggle or this, this journey. Um, and I, you know, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's awesome. And, uh, you know, speaking of Mount Everest, um, I mean, as we mentioned, tallest mountain in the world, (laughs) only a handful of people, um, maybe 10,000 have successfully made the climb as you prepare for that climb in particular. Is there anything different in your preparation, um, for this one versus the others? Yeah, there's a lot of things you face on Everest that, uh, that you don't face on a lot of the other mountains. Everest is a nearly a two month climb. Um, mm-hmm. and you literally live up until base camp in small villages basically. So you really are integrating, um, and into, you know, a very international community where I think expectations of gender and, and, and gender norms are, are different mm-hmm. for, for, again, for better or for worse. Um, and, and that is something that, you know, I'm, I'm, very well aware of. Um, I try not to think about that at all and just kind of be myself, but, yeah. um, you know, some societies around the world, um, we've, we've seen it have, have outlawed trans people, um, have made laws against gender expression and all these things. So again, you, you are kind of in a central meeting point of where people from all these places are meeting. So mental preparation has become a lot for me. It's, it's mm. just regaining that sense of confidence and tuning out the noise and being confident um, and, and finding the headspace to live in what's not my safety bubble for two mm-hmm. months. Um, 
that's a big, big change in how I prepare. There's things you face on Everest that you won't find on other places, but you know, they're easier to, to train for. Like, I mean, wa- walking across a steel ladder on crampons is something that on most mountains I'm never going to face. I mean, on Everest, that's a thing. So, but I can train for that. I can go out in my yard and walk on a ladder <laughs> with my crampons on. I can't necessarily put myself into a situation where um, attitudes towards, you know, me as a person, um, border on the brink of, of possibly violent. So, mm. um, really the, the, um, the challenge on Everest for me is to, is to tune out the noise, um, have self-confidence in who I am as a person and focus on the dangers, not around me personally and socially, but the dangers on the mountain mm. as, as best I can. Yeah. You mentioned, um, an Everest climb can take months. Uh, many of these climbs take weeks. Um, what does a sort of day in the life look for you look like for you when you're on one of your summit treks? Um, so you know, as, as time is going on, they're they're getting colder and taller, mm. and um, you're more subject to kind of sleeping on the ice and sleeping on the glaciers and all that mm. stuff. So you know, you wake up and you kind of any body part that's been exposed overnight is, is pretty cold. So you get on your clothes as quick as possible <laughs> and, um, and then run outside and realize you probably have to go to the bathroom because you've been holding it for like three oh, hours. No. You didn't want to go out in the middle. So it's <laughs> yeah. like out of all the clothes and um, <laughs> you know, yeah. figuring it out. Um, so, you know, most of the time I think it's, it's, it's just, everything takes so much more effort on the mountain than, um, than otherwise. And then, you know, usually we go into the, um, whoever's got the food tent and get some nice coffee and just kind of coffee, 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 and, um, then fill our little bowl with, with whatever mixed food that we have. Like it's all in yeah. one little bowl <laughs> and then, um, start packing and thinking about like how we advance to the next mountain or the next, you know, whatever the next hill is or whatever the next camp is. So, mm. um, really I try to live in the day. So my challenge really is about you know, getting dressed. And I I really do look at it like that. It's like, okay, I'm getting dressed. And I really just want to focus on that because if I focus on the next hill or the next camp or the summit, um, that really can kill you on not not literally, but maybe, but, um, you can really only face the next step in front of you. So, Mm. um, most of it is about not thinking about, you know, stage two, stage three, stage four, like the, you know, the next level it's, um, it's really about, you know, how do I, how do I beat what's in front of me right now? Like not overwhelming yourself by thinking too many steps ahead. Right, right. I don't ever want to think about, you know, like, oh, summit day is going to be terrible when I'm only at <laughs> camp, camp two or three and I've got two weeks yeah. until I even have a crack at the summit. You know, it really, yeah, you want to focus on the here and now. <clears throat> it's incredible how much of a rigor it is, not just physically, but it is mentally. Like you really need to train your brain to keep yourself focused, uh, like you said, on the very next step. Um, that's just like... Ooh, a lot of life skills in climbing, huh? <laughs> yeah, you kind of want to cash the skills that you've got. You want to build up kind of, I think, at the lower levels and then, um, you know, build those skills and then apply it to the bigger mountains or the, the, the more advanced parts of the climb as you get higher. It's, um, it's progressive for sure. So when we talk about peeing, like, have you ever thought about wearing like adult diapers when you're climbing so you don't have to <laughs> pee in the cold? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, you know, like it's weird if you're on, you know, this, these like ice fields, right? Like there's, there's no place to hide and you're not oh allowed gosh. to walk away from your, your, you're on a rope, you're attached to somebody, somebody's 15 feet away from you and 15 feet the other way. And yeah. you know, there's no bush to hide behind or, or even rocks. Usually it's just a glacier. It's just a sheet of ice. So oh, it's kind of like, all right, everybody like look the other way. 
<laughs> and and you're all tied to a rope ultimately anyway. So you ain't going anywhere. <sighs> okay, I have a shy bladder, and so uh, maybe I should get into climbing because that'll really force me out. <laughs> it's, it's, that's the challenge. I mean, it is one of the challenges is just that like there's no privacy on a on an expedition. You know, I mean, there's no Fuck modesty. Yeah. yeah. What's the most challenging aspect of these long climbs? It's the mental aspect. Like I said, it's definitely the, um, you know, it's, it's cutting out the side noise, remembering that you've trained for it. You've built the skill set to do these mountains and, and to overcome these, these things, trusting yourself and, um, and only facing the, the hill or whatever it is right in front of you, rather than mm. you can't climb the whole mountain in one one double dash, you know. I mean, yeah, you can do it one <laughs> one at a time. If only. <laughs> right, right. And Aaron, what has embarking upon the Seven Summits journey taught you about yourself? I'm a lot stronger than I thought I was, mm. and I am capable of loving myself. Um, I didn't. I didn't know that that was possible when I started this. Um, I. I knew I wanted to, and I knew it was maybe possible. Um, but I think understanding that I'm able to um, to overcome these things and to engage in, in a, a productive and um, joyful life um, mm. where I'm worthy and capable of self-love is really something that, um, you know, it, it really is, uh, you know, the confidence and the... Um, the journey has just taught me so much about self-love and confidence. Mm-hmm. Is there a moment that you think back to where you really felt for the first time, just true love for yourself? Um, there have been so many, I, <laughs> I, honestly, and it's, and I'm, I'm the kind of person that celebrates small victories um, as much as big victories, I hope. So um you know, I remember when I first started this journey in 2000, 2018, I guess it was, um, I traveled from Denver to Kilimanjaro. So I, and I went via North Carolina at the time, Charlotte was passing these bathroom bills and it was, I was walking Mm. through an airport where I technically wasn't able to use the bathroom, um, because they had banned trans people from using the bathroom. So here I am on my way to a a nation that actually has laws against gender identity, um, expression. And I couldn't even use the bathroom in the airport that I was traveling through. And, um, you know, there's, there's a moment I think of empowerment, even that early in the journey where I'm like, you know, I I know who I am and I know where I belong and I'm going to take that space. And that held true, whether it was, you know, traveling through the airport or whether it was taking that spot on top of Kilimanjaro ultimately about, you know, 10 days later. Mm. Um, But I mean, that's just one small example, you know, and that's not one I worry about so much anymore either, even though, you know, that's, that, that is, that is real. A lot of times we feel like we don't belong in spaces as trans people. So, you know, a lot of times when I'm, when I'm taking a summit or, um, or finding, you know, just like my spot in the tent or my spot in the mess hall or my spot, yeah. you know, like in the coffee at coffee and people are laughing and, and joking. Like some of those, those just being part of the team again, um, to me is huge. It's our huge victories. And, you know, flashing that banner when loud and proud when I get to the top of the hill, that feels good too. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, 
Aaron, there is a video game called Celeste that I was wondering if you had ever heard of. Um, are you familiar with it? I am now. Okay, you are now. So for the folks at home, um, Celeste was created by Maddie Thorson. And it's a very, very difficult game um, where as the character main character, Madeline, um, a red-haired girl who loves strawberries, um, she is solo climbing a very dangerous, deep, snowy mountain by herself um, while battling these manifestations of her depression and insecurities that appear to her as these like spectral monsters. Um, the game came out in 2018 and in 2020, uh, Maddie Thorson, who's the developer, um, confirmed basically years of fan speculation um, that the main character of Madeline is canonically trans and that through the process of making the game um, helped Maddie understand and come to terms with her own identity as a trans woman herself. Um, and so I actually had found out about your work, Aaron, because young trans gamers in online spaces adore you. Um, they call you a real life Celeste. Um, <laughs> I've even seen a post pointing out an interview that you did for Westward in 2020, where you mentioned that your love of the outdoors is like strawberries. It's hard to say exactly why you like them so much. You just do. Um, and so to a lot of these trans kids, um, you know, I've seen comments calling you legendary, a fucking badass. <laughs> um, one of my favorite comments on your uh, Antarctica summit uh, just this past December um, was petition to change the name of Antarctica <laughs> to Transtartica. <laughs> and so it's just like, I was wondering, um, you know, how does it feel to know that your visibility is bringing trans youth so much joy and empowerment in this way? <laughs> you know, I, 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 it's unexpected. Um, and honestly, it's mutual if, if it's the case, because, you know, I, I, I started getting tagged in some in the Celeste stuff, and um, <laughs> I went out there and I did I did the research, and I start at first I couldn't I couldn't figure out what it was. I was like, what is, yeah. what is Celeste? Why why, is, why Celeste? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and then you know, and I'm sorry, I guess um, I'm just so out of touch. I feel so out of touch because I didn't know. And then <laughs> she's I, too busy climbing <laughs> mountains. People, give her a break. <laughs> <laughs> but then I started to explore it, and I'm completely in love with. Um, with Madeline um, and the game Celeste, I've never played it, but I mean, I have that battle inside and I, ha you know, that, that tells me that I can't do it. That tells me to go home. It tells me I don't belong there. And I have, you know, the doubts and the fears and, um, you know, I, I have those moments. Like, why don't I just move to Venezuela? You know, like mm -hmm. go home. You, you don't deserve <laughs> to be here, but I, you know, you know, I think that the themes that Maddie has explored in that are just so transcendent. And, um, and, you know, again, I feel empowered that somebody else felt that way or that, that, um, you know, trans or queer gamers have gotten something from that, that I didn't know about. So it was so cool to like discover that, like after like years and thinking, I like know everything, right. Like <laughs> it turns out, you know, I'm just an old climber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just, it just keeps, I just, every time I, I just am always struck by how resilient the trans community is and how um, the, the ways we see each other and honor each other is just like unlike anything else. And for all of the things that I've lost coming out as trans, uh, and I really find that when you give up to transition to the journey to to knowing yourself, you have to be prepared to let go of everything in your life because some will not be able to take that journey with you. Um, but I think, um, you know, what I've gained 
Uh, I can't go back even some days if I may feel like I want to. I, I know deep inside in my heart that I, I can't and I, and I won't. And I, and I do love myself. And so, um, I don't know. It just, it all, everything just feels like it comes full circle eventually. And, um, <clears throat> it was really cool to see that, that connection. And, uh, and again, I just, I love that you're out here doing this. It's really amazing. Yeah. It's a super opportunity. And I'm, I'm, lucky every day that um, I've got community that supports me in doing this and that I've been able to um, embark on this journey. Amazing. And Aaron, where can folks follow you, follow uh, the work of Transcending um, and just keep up with your adventures? Yeah, you can check out um, Transcending, which is an organization. I do some takeovers. Um, I'm really just on Instagram. Um, I've kind of walked away from some of the spaces. They take a lot of time, um, the online forums um, and social media. I've kind of gotten yeah. away from just because it takes up a lot of my time. But um, I am on Instagram at this point. Um, the organization posts frequently. I That's not me, but um, sometimes I do takeovers for them. They're transcending, um, like tran um, with and then sending, like sending it, um, and then the number seven. And um, you can find me at Aaron Sends 7, but, but just the number seven. Um, and that's my personal journey where I'll talk about some of the things that um, are, are the, the things that I face that aren't really related to transcending itself. But there's, there's mm-hmm. some overlap between those accounts. And that's where I'm really trying to tell the whole story and, and do the whole anthology and show it from start to finish. And then um, who knows when I'm done, if it becomes just the story or if we, we just keep telling it, you know? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on Pixel Therapy. I've had an absolutely lovely time. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. It's, it's been great to be here. Thanks again. Time is up for today's session of Pixel Therapy. Thank you for tuning in. And we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own. If you want more pixel therapy come check us out at patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just two dollars a month plus get opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly if you're not up for contributing monetarily but you enjoyed this episode you can show your support for free by rating and reviewing us on apple podcasts and following us on twitter and instagram at pixel therapy pod that stuff is just as important and we appreciate it just as much remember that pixel therapy is a happy member of the but why though podcast network so you can support us by supporting them and heading over to buttwhythopodcast.com. That's though with a T-H-O. Take a peek at the inclusive geek community they're building around pop culture news, reviews, and kick-ass podcasts like yours truly. And you can keep up with all of this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. This week, uh, we are so excited to talk about Aaron's organization, Transcending. Um, It is a nonprofit dedicated to the advancement of trans rights through all aspects of society by promoting athletics as a platform of transgender awareness and inclusion. Through targeted athletic projects, we seek to create a welcoming environment of understanding and assurance that all persons can partake in the learning and growth that come with inclusion in sports, regardless of gender identity. Transcending's goal is to promote rising trans athletes and help them gain access to athletic programs with the goal of increasing awareness from team administration, coaches, and team staff, trans athletes, fellow athletes, and the audiences who support these great sports. Um, you can learn more about this awesome organization and become a sponsor to support Aaron's climbs at transcending7.org slash become sponsor. Um, and that's transcending T-R-A-N-S-E-N-D-I-N-G number seven dot org.
Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel Pixel Therapy. Therapy. Bye-bye.